Amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Well, really good to see you this morning. My name is Paul. I'm one of the leaders here. If you're new or visiting, it is great. Can extend that welcome and invitation to, to come and meet us after the service. And also to say that you join us at a great time. We're in our value series, as Steve said, that we circle around each and every year. Values that we have, they shape our behavior. And what we as a church do, we build things around that to foster that, that biblical conviction that we hold to. So this is a great invitation over the next, last week, this week, and next week to see who we are, what we believe, and how we function. And we're going to look at today Romans 16. Have you got your Bibles? Have, um, get them open at Romans 16, which I think gives us one of the clearest insights into the early church, who they were, what they believed, and how they functioned as a people. I'm going to take it in two sections. I'm actually going to start at verse 17 through to 20. So Romans 16, verse 17 through to 20. This is Paul speaking. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Father, we have received it. We live in it. Everything about our existence is of grace. So Father, we pray this morning that you would help us by your spirit through your son to see that to see the truth of the gospel, the beautiful face of the Lord Jesus Christ and who we are in him as your people. Amen. So what are we saying when we use this phrase, marked by grace, gospel-centered, marked by grace and on mission? Verse 20, just towards the end there, says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So to understand what I'm about to say, we need to see that firstly, grace is something that we receive. And it's specifically something that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the book of Romans that we're in, we jumped in right at the end. It has a particular shape to it. And it's a similar shape to some of Paul's other letters, Colossians and Ephesians. And you can kind of almost split them into half as books. And what happens in the first half is Paul actually shows them what God has done for them before he goes on to show them what they are now to do in light of that. So what they do, what we do, is an overflow of what God has done for us, to us, and in us. So then the question becomes, what has God done? Romans is really helpful for this. See, it starts by showing us that all of humanity has rejected God. It tells us that we've been made by God, we were made for God, we were made to be in relationship with God, but what we do is we dishonor God, we refuse to give him thanks, we actually go against him. And the Bible calls this sin, wanting to do things our own way, wanting to remove God and the things of God and the way of God from our life, and humanity, because of this, became distorted. Everything that we see and witness and experience in pain and suffering and hardship is a result of the broken relationship that humanity as a whole has with God. So the Bible tells us that the wrath of God hangs over us. You may be like, hang on a minute. 
Isn't God all about love? You're not that type of church, are you? Talk about wrath and God's anger. Let me ask you a question. How does your heart respond when you see injustice? Maybe when you turn on the news and you see how children are treated. Some of those children coming over, the, the, the refugees. What about the people in Afghanistan? I'm, I'm sure your heart responds with a little bit of anger. Something needs fixing. Something's gone horribly wrong. There's a great injustice that should move us in the depths of our hearts. But folks, the greatest injustice in the whole of human history is humanity's rejection of God. And the judgment of God hangs over us. It needs to be fixed. See, the Bible says, and Romans clearly explains to us, that without God we are lost, we are hopeless, we are dead in our sins. Paul says that no one is righteous, no one. All have turned aside, no one does good. And so that's why grace is something that we receive, that we need to receive. Receive. God in his word says this, we can only be right with God in and through his grace by faith in Jesus Christ. God in his word tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we are justified. What does that mean? Justified means that we are declared right before God. Our sin has been dealt with, that judgment has been taken away, that wrath that hangs over us is removed and it's all by God's grace as a gift through the redemption, the work, the bringing back to God of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came for us, lived for us, died for us. By grace, the Father gave the Son, and by grace, the Son gave his life, and by grace, the Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit to give us life in the Lord, life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, Jesus Christ, in rising again, what he did, he made it possible for us who believe to be made new, to be regenerated in Christ, to be healed in Christ, to be restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so by grace, God's grace, we are now able to think rightly. We are now able to desire rightly. We are now able to live rightly. So that's why marked by grace and being marked by grace is not something that we firstly do. It's something that is firstly done for us, that we receive and that we live in. We are a formed and a transformed people. That's who we are. And what we see in the passages I've just read is two distinct communities, two contrasting communities, as it were, in verse 17 to 20. First of all, we see in there the community not living in grace. Now, not living in grace, as you see it here, is, is serving self instead of serving Jesus Christ. And Paul explains this. This causes division. It puts obstacles up to the gospel, obstacles up to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you were to scratch below the surface and just scratch a little bit at the, at the heart of not living grace, you would see the heart of sin. And right at the heart of this is verse 18, serving our own appetites. What we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. What I have is mine. I'm going to use it for me. I'm going to use it for mine. My time, my money, my house, my relationships. I'm going to build my life around personal comforts, personal preference, comfort, isolation, exclusion. But a community that is marked by grace and filled by grace stands in stark contrast. A community formed by grace and marked by grace serves God and serves others. And it is, using the phrase here, it's an obedient community. And that word is so important for Paul, especially through Romans. See, this whole book is written to help the Roman church be obedient to the faith. He actually starts it right at the beginning in the first few verses and right at the end, 
He, tell, he tells them that actually this is to help them be obedient in the faith. So what is obedience? Obedience is not just a, a tick list, good behavior, bad behavior. Obedience is the response of a transformed heart. Hearts and lives that have been changed by the grace of God to love God and to live for others. Not self-serving, but other-serving because what God has done. See, in verse 19, Paul says something really interesting. He says that, that their obedience, the obedience of the, the Roman church is known to all. Paul's never been to the Roman church. He's never met many of these people. But they're living in such a way that people are speaking about it. Word of mouth is passing along their way of life. People who know them, have been around them, have been in the community, have experienced the grace of God through them. See, being marked by grace, experiencing the grace of God and walking out in that obedience to God to love him and to love others can be seen, it can be touched, it can be felt, it can be experienced. That self-sacrifice, the giving of yourself for the good of others is what Paul's describing here. He actually describes it in great detail in chapter 12. I won't read the whole of chapter 12, but let me just pull out some parts. He says that, that being marred by grace and living this way is about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Having your minds renewed by the grace of God. Not thinking highly of yourselves, but actually being sober mind. Serving other people around you with the gifts and the things that God has given you. Forgiving one another, showing mercy, showing compassion. Living with each other in brotherly affection. Outdoing one another in showing honor. Rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer contributing to the need of the saints, showing hospitality, blessing those who curse you, not repaying evil for evil, but living in harmony and peace with each other. Can you imagine that community? Can you imagine a community that is marked that way? So what does it look like in real life? And that's why I've selected Romans 16 today, because I think we get a little bit of a, a taste and see with this, we actually get to see what it looks like in the lives of ordinary people. So let me read verse one to 16. You're gonna have to forgive me folks as I read this. There are some interesting names here, which I'm gonna get wrong. I have been listening to try to practice them and get them right, but um, I've got a terrible memory, so I'll probably say them in different ways over the next 10 minutes anyway. If your name is one of these anyway, I apologize specifically to you if I get your name wrong, but you probably put up with enough that you can put up with me. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Please also the church in their house, Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Terrible name. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. 
greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has also been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, and Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I want to pull out three things from this. First of all, I want to pull out just the, the bond of love that is clearly seen in these verses. So this greet, there's a word greet that is just repetitive. 18 times you hear it, greet, 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 greet. So what does it mean? It's not as simple as a, as a good English hello or a scouse, all right. If you're new to the city and the scouse says all right, they're not actually asking how you are, they're just saying hello to you. There's a deeper meaning here. It actually means like a, an enfolding in the arms to draw into yourself. It's the, the active motion of drawing people in, in hospitality and warmth and affection and love. Now, why would a Christian do that? Just think back to what I've already been saying. Why would a Christian do that? Because that's exactly what God has done for us. He's enfolded us. He has opened up the doors of heaven. He has invited us and brought us into the very throne room of heaven. He has actively moved towards people to bring them in and to display his grace towards and in and through. And we see this so clearly the way that Paul talks about Phoebe in verse 1 and 2. See, what's interesting is that Phoebe, she was part of a, a Sancria, uh, the church, and that church, they believe, was, was planted, a small church plant that was close to the city of Corinth in Greece. And this lady, she's got money. She's probably a business lady, similar to Lydia in the, in the church of Philippi. And she used her wealth, she used her possession, she used what God had given her for his work. It's highly likely that the church of Sancria met in her house. She supported them. It's what the word patron means. And she also supported Paul as a missionary amongst, it seems, many others, as, as Paul's kind of alluding to there. And what she does, she takes this letter to Rome for Paul. So he's in Corinth. She's likely on a business trip, and he gives her the letter to take to Rome. And we see through these verses that the grace that is just clearly displayed in her life and is affecting the people around her. Paul's experienced it. The church has experienced God's grace through her. And now what he does, which is interesting, he actually calls the, Romans, the Roman church to display that same love towards her. He says this really interesting phrase, welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. It's a great phrase, that isn't it? Welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. And that's worth just chewing over for a second. So what is a saint? A saint is someone who's been set apart for God. A saint is someone who is one of God's people. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint set apart for God, being brought in part of God's story. And he's saying here, welcome her as a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying there's a bond of fellowship that, that, that we receive from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We receive that same fellowship and it applies to all, all of God's people. And what he's saying is welcome her in that bond of fellowship that already exists between you. There is a bond of fellowship that exists. Welcome her in light of that. Show her hospitality that displays God's grace. Show her that. So anyone in would look in and be amazed at the hospitality that you're showing towards Phoebe. God calls us to love those who name the name of Christ. He does all the way through his word. Calls us to embrace them, to show compassion, to, to bring them into our care. 
to supply their needs. He all the time, all the way through his work, his word we see this. Strangers in Christ are to be received with open arms. And why this bond of love? See, verse five, Paul calls Epinatus. Verse eight, Ampliatus. Verse 12, Persis, which means Persian woman. He calls them beloved. There's this bond of love between the people of God through this whole list of names that just keeps getting revealed. And as you see this community, the kind of the curtain pulled back on this community, you see a bond of love through them. Why is that? It's because we're family. Paul is saying we're family. This is not just an, an open door, but this is a welcome, welcome to family, welcome home. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been adopted by God into a new family, his family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a perfect community, a perfect family. Phoebe verse one, how does Paul describe her? Sister in Christ. That's the term he chooses to use. She's a sister in Christ to them. Cornerstone Church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of a new family. What's incredible is that this family extends. It extends across this city. It extends across this nation and it extends all over the world and all through time, backward and forward. We are to treat people as fellow children of God in a bond of love. Second of all, we see a shared purpose. It's proclamation of the gospel and, and the building of the church. And we see it come out in a load of different expressions, shall we say. And let me start with, with, with Prisca and Aquila. I'll read this for us. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So when Paul met Prisca and Aquila, they were at Corinth. And it, and it appears from Acts that they were refugees. They were, they were kicked out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius because Aquila was a Jew. That's what we read. And like Paul, these people were tent makers. They, they worked making tents for a living. And what they would do would use their profession to support the ministry of God's word. And it, it seems as we read other passages of scripture that these guys were gifted. Gifted as a couple. They served in loads of ways. They went to Ephesus and they helped establish a church in Ephesus. They went back to Rome because the Emperor Claudius died and that's where they are now. And you read this and you read other passages of scriptures and you see what structured their life. You see what motivated them. They were motivated by and for the gospel. They used their, their jobs and all the means they had for gospel proclamation. They made relationships for gospel proclamation and the building up of the church. They was a, a very involved Christian couple, not seeking self-gain, but seeing everything that they had as given by God for the, work, for the work of building up the church and the proclamation of the gospel, everything. Time, possessions, resources, money. Verse five, what do they do with their house in Rome? They have a church in their house. See, the church would have needed a place to, live, to, to meet. And they didn't just see it as their space. They didn't see their house as their space, their retreat, their exclusive area, but as God's to be used for his purpose. as something that God had graciously given to them to be used for his glory and the good of others to build up the church. And verse four, we see this expand outwards, not just from their house, but into their very lives. It tells us they risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Wow, isn't that amazing? Just reading the stories of these guys is just phenomenal. They were willing to put their lives at risk for the spread of the gospel, for the building up of the church. 
Why would they live like this? Why? Because of the grace of God that they've received in Christ who gave his life for them. They were willing to risk and offer up their whole lives. What a testimony. But I think, folks, as we read this account of the early church, we see the shared purpose of, of gospel proclamation and the building up of the church. We see it expressed in different ways. Let me just pull out a few, because I could pull out loads, but I've just selected a few. Verse six, we read in verse six of a lady called Mary. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Once your sentence, imagine this a lady called Mary. She's worked really hard, that, that working hard, it means actually to the point of weariness, sweat and exhaustion, that's the connotations being shown here. And she's probably, people think off the back of the way this is said, older. She's labored much in the past. It seems to have established and developed the church. She's worked hard in the past. That's the worked hard. It's a past tense. Older folks, Mary has noticed. So are you. God sees you. God knows you. We are thankful for the work that you have done in establishing this work and many, many other works down through the last many, many years. There are many ways to do God's work and to pour out this grace to others. Verse nine and verse 12, we read of Urbanus, Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis. It's the same thing, men and women, ordinary people, working currently hard in the Lord. People being poured out and pouring themselves out in service to God and in service to his people. Why are they doing it? Because of this shared purpose, the shared identity, the grace that they've received, they are using to actually pour out for others. Verse 13, we read about Rufus' mother. It says, this great Rufus chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus' mother was a mother to Paul. I just love the fact that Paul highlights this lady. She highlights, Paul highlights how she is engaged and contributed to God's mission. She might not have been on the front line. She might not have been going to different countries. She might not have been up singing or preaching or she might not have been leading gospel communities, but you know what she was doing? She was displaying love and affection and warmth and care and the prayer that God's people need to God's people. And Paul received it as a mother in the faith. There are many ways to be part of God's plans and purposes at all stages of life and in all areas of life. Verse seven, Andronicus and Junior, they were prisoners with Paul for the sake of the gospel, willing to go to prison for the sake of Jesus. Why? Why would they be willing to go to prison for the sake of Jesus? Because of the grace that they have received, because what Jesus has done for them, because of the story and the shared purpose they've been brought into. Paul highlights all of them. He actually singles out a lot of these people. And we see all these different people engaging in different ways. Some are missionaries to other countries, praise God. Some are church planters and church planting. Verse 14 and 15, those longer lists that we get, they're actually thought to be two little church plant teams and two little fellowships in a house. They're people who open their homes. There are people with very active lives working hard for God in a number of different ways. There are people who are being mothers and fathers in the faith. Loving, caring for, praying, being hospitable, all blessing the family of God. You see, these people are commended because they took what they have, they took what God has given to them, and they use it for God. So my question to you, Cornerstone Church Liverpool, what would it look like this year to be who you are, 
not to be someone else at a different life stage and in different areas, to be who you are with what God has given you, the life stage that you are at, with the time that God has given you, the relationships God has given you, the facilities, the resources that God has provided for you. How do you see it all in light of the shared purpose of God? And with hope and hands say, use it, Lord. Use it, Lord. Maybe we need to ask God to remove the fear that surrounds some of the things that stop us doing this. There are loads of terraced houses around, around this area of, of Liverpool, loads, around loads of Liverpool, actually. And if you look closely at some of them, some of them have got, these, uh, have got like railings on. There's like a, a door and then a little tiny wall. And on the little tiny wall, there's like a railing. Some of the railings are about that high. But many of the railings have gone and there's just like a little stump sticking out of the top of the wall. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're all over the place. You see it all over the, the, as you walk around these streets. And the reason that they, the ones that don't have the railings is because them railings were used for the war. They were taken during the Second World War in that shared venture, that war effort, the pursuit of freedom in opposing the evil of what was going on with the Nazis. And they gave the metal of their railings for ammunition in the war. I should imagine someone saying, no, you're not having my railing. No. It just pales into insignificance, doesn't it? The railing compared to the war that is going on. Compared to that greater story of the war against the, the Nazis. It's ridiculous. To even think that that provides some sense of security or privacy or assurance compared to what is going on. Cornerstone Church, we've been brought into the greatest story. We have been given the greatest purpose. We have been given everything by grace in Christ. Everything that we have, everything that you have is given by God. And it's given by God to be used for his purpose, the greatest purpose. So folks, are you holding on to your railings? Are you? What are those railings? Third of all, we see real people with real stories. I just love this. Real people with real stories, testimonies of God's grace as people are brought into God's plan of redemption. And I just love these passages of scripture where if you're doing a Bible reading, you'll often just gloss over it. You'll read it quickly. But let's not do that, folks, because this is personal. This is God highlighting stories, trails of grace, testimonies and, and, and lights shining out of this wonderful work of God in people's lives in the specifics of people's lives, real people with real stories, so much like us. Verse 13, we meet Rufus. Rufus, we're told, is chosen in the Lord. When you actually look behind the story of who Rufus is, you see just the wonder of who he is. In Mark 15, verse 20 to 21, it's the end of Mark's gospel and Jesus Christ is being led out to be crucified. And as Mark describes this, he says that Jesus is led out to be crucified and he's in, he's in so much agony and pain from the torture that he's experienced after what he's actually endured that he can hardly carry his own cross. So Jesus himself can hardly carry his cross and his humanity. So the, the soldiers who are walking with him, they actually make a passerby. Simon of Cyrene, who Mark highlights for us and tells us that Simon of Cyrene is the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Isn't that amazing? It was Rufus's father who carried the Savior's cross for him. Think of that trail of grace through his life. 
from Rufus and his mother loving on the Apostle Paul, a family transformed by coming into contact, contact with God in Christ, experiencing his grace and being transformed by his grace. What a story. My father carried the cross of Christ, wow. Let's look at some of the other stories. Verse five, Epinatus. This guy's the first Christian, the first person to become a Christian in Asia Minor. That is the area we now know as Turkey as the gospel was spreading out east. Imagine the stories this guy could tell in the place that he lived. Imagine the trail of grace that he will have witnessed and seen. Verse seven, Andronicus and Junior, these guys have been Christians for a, a long time. They've been serving God for many, many years and they ended up in prison because of it. They've done so much. And the apostles even know all about them. They're esteemed by the apostles, we read. Imagine the stories these guys could tell. Imagine the trails of grace through their lives as they explained it. Verse eight, Ampliatus. Ampliatus is actually a slave name, which is common in Caesar's house. And then you've got verse 11, the family of Narcissus. The commentators think this is actually a family of slaves in Caesar's house. Imagine the stories that these guys could tell. Those trails of grace just everywhere. People becoming Christians in Caesar's household. Folks, this is the seat of power for the whole world. Think White House, Parliament, the great hall of people for the people of China. Great hall of people? The hall of people for China. I'm sorry, I'm gonna be fast on that one. Real people, real stories. Some of these guys laboring. Some of these guys labored. Some of them enduring hardship. Some of them willing to risk their lives. Some being used to, to reach new nations. All being used in different ways, unique ways, but all a family united by this bond of love, united by the shared purpose, real people with real stories. There is such a beautiful diversity that we see here. Don't miss it. Don't miss this beautiful diversity that is men, that is women, that is young, that is old, that is middle-aged. There are single people, there are families, there are orphans and widows, there are new believers, mature believers, there are slaves and business people, poor, rich, workers in the imperial house, tent makers, Gentile, Jew, Roman, Greek, Persian, Asian, African, refugees, prisoners, all one in Christ. Look what God is showing us. What a wonderful, beautiful picture. God's people actually are of God's grace. Real people. Real stories brought together and united by the grace of God. Cornerstone Church, we are part of that same family. Praise God. We are united by a bond of love that is given to us in Christ, to each other, to all other Christians across the, the world, to these guys listed here. We have the same purpose, the same shared purpose of gospel proclamation and building up the church. Let me just give you a, a, a one example to ground this from our church itself. And I want to take this from my own personal experience in the sense of what I see each week. And that's from my own gospel community that meet through the week. See, we have in our gospel community people from Mossley Hill, people from Wavertree, people from Toxteth, people from Netherley, people from Highton. We've even got woolly backs from Rain Hill. That's me. What a legendary place that is. We've got people from the South Coast, people from Bath, people from the USA, people from Ghana. We've got people brought up in Christian homes. We've got people saved as children. We've got people who've just come to faith. We've got people who were saved in prison. 
We've got people recovering from addictions. We've got people with children, people who've never had children. We've got people who are mothers in the faith. We've got single parent families. We've got families who've adopted. We've got people exploring what it means to actually be a Christian, figuring it out in a messy way. Praise God for that. We've got people who've just become a Christian. We've got people who've been Christians for 50 years. We've got people who live in mansions. We've got people who rent from the council. And we've got people who rent from landowners. We've got people who come from Catholic backgrounds, Muslim backgrounds, agnostic backgrounds, atheistic backgrounds, all united by God's grace, learning together, praying for each other, making mistakes, seeking, seeking forgiveness together, walking together, pointing to Christ together, a community of God's people united by God's grace. Each of us, folks, each of us with a trail of God's grace through our life. That's all of you. Don't discount that. To be marked by grace, you have to look back and sit and do that this week as a little exercise. Look at the trail of God's grace for your life. Do with the people you meet up with. Do with the families that you gather around. Do with the people that, that you're around in staff teams or in gospel communities. Just look for a second at the trails of God's grace in your lives. It is everywhere. Stories interwoven together by God. See, folks, our names might not be here. What a privilege it must be for these guys and we get to meet them in heaven. But I think that God is pointing us somewhere, even in doing this at the end of Romans. See, in Revelation we read that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it tells us that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He says it several times, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God knows you and it tells us that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. Isn't that just incredible? God knows your name. He knows who you are. He has saved you and brought you to himself. He sees you. He knows you. He has formed us together as a people. Praise God for diversity, folks. Praise God for real people and real stories that make up the messy church that we call home and that we love. Praise God for different characters. Praise God for different gifts that you all have. Praise God for the different stages of life that we are in. Praise God for different economic statuses and different social contexts and different demographics and different places that we live in. Praise God for that. If you're not a believer here today, the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is free. It's free, that's what grace is, it's free. Turn to Jesus, accept that invitation right now. Come speak to us, let us pray with you. Let us tell you more. See, as a church, what we offer, we don't just offer a message. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who forms his people and we offer a family. We offer a people who will walk with you to the last day of your life, pointing to Christ. Come and speak to us. If you're new here, Maybe you've been coming, or today's your first day. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks. Maybe you've been coming for a few months. Maybe you've been coming for a year, a year and a half, two years. Come and get involved. Please don't, don't, don't just ignore what I've just said. To actually get involved in what I'm sharing about this, this gracious community is not something that we can just do on a Sunday morning. This is boss on a Sunday morning. I love it. It's incredible as we gather as a family. But it's two hours a special two hours that are to empower us, to enliven us, to draw us in love to one another and then to burst us out of this building together to proclaim and to live out this grace of God. Please 
Come and get involved. Be a part of this story. You don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way. Come as you are. Let's point to Christ together. Serve God with the gifts that you have. Be a part of this story, this family. It's not actually an accident that you're here. Don't think that it is. This moment at this place, in this church, on this morning, this is an invitation today. Come see us through that door at the end, as Dee says. To hear more about us and plug in. But if you call Cornerstone Church home, September, I think, provides a fresh opportunity. And this is a fresh opportunity today, a call out to this year to, to take a look. Who are you in Christ? Who are you? How has God made you? What has God given you? The full sweep of what that means. And in the light of God's grace and in the strength that he provides, as we read at the end of this chapter, how can you use it for the spread of the gospel and the building up of the church? How can you welcome people in a way that is worthy of the saints? How can you greet people in the way that God greets you? How can you display the grace that you've received to the people that God has put around you? Because folks, that is the reason that you are here. It's the reason that we're all here. At this place, at this time, amongst these people. Let me pray. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.